But we wouldn't want Christmas to come without making a visit to our favorite website, Everyday Feminism. Because Everyday Feminism is where women go at Christmas to learn how to perform useful womanly activities like baking those sensational star-shaped shortbread cookies and complaining endlessly about every little thing until they make themselves and everyone around them miserable. Except I was kidding about the cookies. Today on Everyday Feminism, there's a post called Five Gaslighting Phrases Donald Trump Used That Remind Me a Lot of My Abusive Ex-Boyfriend by Susanna Weiss. I'm not making this up. Now, gaslighting is an expression that comes from an old stage play in which an evil husband tries to make his wife think she's going crazy by, among other things, turning the gas lights up and down and then pretending he doesn't see the change. To gaslight someone means to tell them that they're not seeing what they obviously see. You can try it yourself by telling a friend, there are no Muslims blowing things up and killing people. Anyone who sees that must be Islamophobic. Just watch, it'll drive them nuts. Anyway, back to everyday feminism. One phrase Donald Trump used that reminded Susanna Weiss of how her abusive ex-boyfriend used to gaslight her is, I never said I'm a perfect person. This phrase reminded Susanna Weiss of how her abusive ex-boyfriend used to borrow money from her and not pay her back. When she would complain, he would say, I never said I was a perfect person, and then she would forgive him and loan him more money, leading us to question Susanna Weiss's intelligence. Now she's crying and moaning about all the money she loaned him, but that's ridiculous. After all, the man never said he was a perfect person. Another gaslighting phrase Trump used that reminded Susanna Weiss of her abusive ex-boyfriend was, this is nothing more than a distraction from the important issues. This reminded Susanna Weiss of how she would try to discuss things like gay marriage with her abusive ex-boyfriend, and he would say, why discuss gay marriage when there are some places where gay people are being killed? Really, come to think of it, that's a good point. So maybe on that one, Susanna Weiss should have tried to focus on the more important issues. Trump also accused Hillary Clinton of playing the woman's card. This reminded Susanna Weiss of that time she was watching a movie with her abusive ex-boyfriend and a sexy nude scene came on and Susanna Weiss told her abusive ex-boyfriend that it was sexist because it was always the women in movies who were nude and he said she was just playing the woman card and she got all whiny about it because obviously she didn't realize he was just trying to get her to pipe down so he could enjoy the hot naked babes. So... As we can see, there are many ways Donald Trump reminds Susanna Weiss of her abusive ex-boyfriend. There are also many ways Susanna Weiss reminds me of a really annoying girl I used to go out with. Who was also named Susanna Weiss? Huh. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray! Oh, hooray, hurrah! Merry Christmas, Everyday Feminism. (laughs) It's the site that gives all year. It's the least we can do. All right, who is this out there? What is this? Lord's Leaping, so it's Lord Voldemort Leaping. Lord Voldemort Leaping. I should have known that, of course. But Thank you, Austin, for the 12 days of Andrew Clavin Christmas. Uh, (laughs) I hope it's been brilliant stuff. Mailbag tomorrow. Tomorrow is the mailbag. You must subscribe to the Daily Wire to be in the mailbag. The end of the year will come and you won't have your questions answered but if you subscribe you can send in your questions and we will answer them with 100% guaranteed accuracy 98.5% guaranteed to change your life 
possibly for the better. So be there for this. So there's a lot of, I mean, it was almost like a clavenless weekend day yesterday throughout Europe. A lot of violence going on. Obviously, we, that horrific assassination of the Russian ambassador to Turkey, which was caught on video because the ambassador was making a speech in a uh, an art gallery, and the guy who killed him was a a security guy, he was a police guy, and was standing right next to him, just blew him away and started shouting Allahu Akbar and about Syria, you know, we're dying in Syria, you're killing us in Syria, we'll kill you here. I have to say that Vladimir Putin handled this really well. I'm going to become a Trump guy. I like Putin. You know, he's one of these. He's yeah. a strong. But he did. They. Th he said that this is obviously they're trying to cause a rift between Turkey and Russia, and he's not going to let it happen. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. You do not want people. You know, people have gone to war over less than this, and you don't want that happening. You know, but it was. It was just a, a shocking moment. I have to say, even even at this point where we're all getting inured to it. But the one that I want to talk about is the one in Berlin. This is. You know, they have these. They call them Christkindlmarkt. It means, uh, you know, it's a Christmas market, a ch Christmas children market. I, I think there are now 12 dead. A uh, guy drove his truck in, like the uh, like the one in Nice. Uh, drove his truck in, just wiped people out with it. Uh, they have arrested a Pakistani uh, immigrant at this point, but they're not sure. I'm not sure if it's the right guy. The one of the police spokesmen said they might not have the right guy, and one of or or somebody else may still be on the loose with a gun. So it's a scary situation. These things, these Christmas markets. I was at the one in Munich, which has been there since like the 13th, 14th century, and it really. The, first of all, they're beautiful. Like, like I, I write about this in the Great Good Thing. They're like stepping into a Christmas card. You get there and it's snowy and beautiful Christmas tree. There's children singing. Markets all over the place uh, where they're selling, you know, very beautiful old-fashioned toys and and things like this. And so, but this is an old, old Christmas tradition. So the symbolism here is really, really intense. These are. This, these people, people feel like they have been invaded. Uh, Angela Merkel has let in hundreds of thousands of these refugees, and people feel like they're under invasion. And even before this crisis that was brought on by the bobbling of the ball of our, our leaders, including Barack Obama, that let Syria devolve into the civil war and all these refugees coming in. But even before this, there was a sense in Europe that they were being invaded by an alien population. Let's listen to a British tourist, Emma Rushton, who was in the market when this happened. This is an interview she gave to Sky News. First so I'm running on adrenaline at the moment, so everything's coming out quite fast. Um, so we arrived at lunchtime today. I've never been to Berlin before, first uh, holiday, and um, we decided to wander down to the, the Christmas market and partake in some of the, the mulled wine and uh, whatever else was on offer. Um, and we sat and we were drinking, and very luckily... I broke my leg a few years ago and have to sit down for a lot longer than I would normally. My friend said, let's go, and I said, well, give me two minutes. Um, and then we heard a really loud bang um, and saw some of the Christmas lights to our left starting to be pulled down, and then we saw the articulated vehicle going through people and through the stalls and just pulling everything down, and then everything went dark. So it was very difficult to be there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the interior minister of Germany came out and said, we're at war. We're at war. And the thing about that war, though, is that lady is in the war. 
And that's not the way thing, wars usually go. I mean, wars are usually fought on battlefields or in the past have been fought in battlefields. And yes, civilians get caught up in it. But this is a war that is taking place against civilians, against ladies like that. Here she goes on to talk about how she, how she got out. Yeah, there was lots of there was lots of screaming. There were lots of people yelling. So the the stall that we bought our mulled wine from was completely crushed, and there were people tearing off the the wooden panels to get the people out. Luckily, everyone in there was pulled out. Um, but as we walked, we we just wanted to get back to the hotel as quickly as possible. Um, we just didn't want to stay because we didn't know if something else was going to happen or or whether we were. We just didn't know. We just didn't know. And we saw people, um, and we just had to kind of steal our eyes and just walk through. And I wanted to stop and help, but we just wanted to make sure that we were safe. Firstly. Yeah, well, you know, you hear that it's 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 very it's very moving because of course these are people out there, you know, celebrating Christmas as I said. I've been to these um markets, the one in Munich and it really is a beautiful beautiful uplifting experience and to have these guys invading it is really, uh, you know, a symbol of something that has gone terribly wrong. See, this is the thing when these attacks take place, it's a very emotional moment. And you often hear the left guys, you know, nutcases like Paul Krugman of the New York Times, uh, you know, will say, oh, well, I hope it's, a, you know, it's probably a right wing white male or something like, you know, I hope that, you know, as if that would change the situation we're in. If a right wing white male were to go on a rampage, heaven forfend, and, and kill somebody, that would mean that there was a crazy right wing white male. What this means is it is reminding us of a steady state of, of a problem that we're in, of an overall arching problem. We are watching the—we're not only watching a bad idea in the sense that Islamism is a bad idea. We're watching the true collapse of the elite's great idea, their great—what they thought was their great idea— has failed, and it has failed everywhere. And this is why the British are leaving the EU. This is why there's Brexit. This is why there's Donald Trump. This is why the Italian government fell. This is why Angela Merkel may be in big trouble when she is up for re-election next year. You know, this is why the people are revolting. The idea has failed. And the idea that has, fa that has failed is that experts should rule us, that the elites should rule us, that the elites know best. This idea has been in the wind at least, at least since the Enlightenment. It's really been around since Plato, I think. This idea that there is a right way to be, you can reason your way to the right way, Wise men are those people who can reason well. Therefore, wise men should tell you what to do. And, you know, they argue, well, you're not, you're not unfree because no free man who was wise would do anything other than what we're telling you to do. And this is why they hate religion, because religion sort of says, no, <laughs> you know, it's you inside you, each one of you, where the truth resides. The truth does not reside in a panel of experts. It is not to be reached entirely by reason. It has to be reached. Uh, to some degree by revelation and to some degree by feeling your way. There is no science of morality and there is no way that the experts can do it. And this is, you know, this is the idea behind communism. This is the idea behind every totalitarian government and it is collapsing. They let a, you know, listen, this is not to me to attack 
Islam in general. There are 1.6 billion Islamic people uh, in the world. I have there's no doubt in my mind that some of them use Islam to connect with the true God. I'm sure that that is true. The problem is that there is something in Islam and always has been that is antithetical to the West. The West was built. The West, as we know, it was built at war with Islam. Islam was trying to wipe out Europe. Europe won and established itself, and Islam faded into primitivism, essentially. And in every country where Islam is the majority uh, religion, not perhaps in every single country, but in most countries, there is oppression, there is inequality, there is a mistreatment of women that is just, you know, I mean, I love to make fun of uh, feminism, but I'm deeply committed to the rights of women, which I consider to be two antithetical things, two things that are opposed to one another. But, but there is a problem with letting people in in these numbers who might hold a philosophy that is completely opposed to everything we love. And you can't sit in a room with a bunch of experts and say, yes, but this makes us feel so good. You see, we understand. The people may be prejudiced. The people may be prejudiced. What we understand that, you know, this is the good, this is the great global thing that we have to go forward. You know, Brett Stevens wrote a column today about something entirely different that had an insight in it that was so brilliant. You know, sometimes people say things that put into words things you're already thinking, and you think, ah, oh, that's really great. But every now and again, somebody comes up with an idea that just has not occurred to you, that is so right that the minute you read it, it's like bingo. And Brett Stevens is interesting because I had real problems with him during the election. He went off on Ted Cruz. I felt without any evidence, without supplying at least any evidence, that his attacks on Cruz were justified. I thought he was wrong. I thought he was, I, I didn't necessarily think he was wrong in his attacks on Donald Trump, but I thought he was being blind to what was happening. He wasn't listening to the people and what their discontents were. And he he is, an, he is an elite, you know, he's a very elitist kind of guy, and he doesn't understand why people get upset about immigration. However, he's also a brilliant, capacious mind with a real moral compass. And so you don't reject people because they're wrong, because everybody's wrong sometimes, and sometimes I think thought Brett Stevens was wrong, but at least he's thinking about why he was wrong. And he wrote a piece today, and I'm sure it went to press way before the terrorist attacks, about... Regulations, and I, you know, this is something I hump about all the time, too many regulations. And he talks about the fact that the World Bank published a survey on how friendly governments are to business. And the United States under Obama has fallen in that survey. It, when, he, when Obama took office, the U.S. was third in the overall index of how easy it was to do business here. And now it is, uh, I think it's uh, eighth. It's in eighth place since uh, Obama came. And, eight, and everything has become harder. It's become harder to start a business. It's become harder to uh, enforce a contract. All these things have become harder because of regulations. And... What, and this is part of what's driving people crazy in the Midwest and part of the manufacturing class. And here's Stephen's insight that is just brilliant. You know, I, th I think I'm going to cut off here and get to that insight in just a minute. We have to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come on over to The Daily Wire. You can hear the rest, and you can subscribe, and you can watch the whole thing on the site. You never have to go on Facebook or YouTube. You can just watch it on the site if you subscribe, and then you can be in the mailbag and ask your questions for tomorrow. So Brett Stevens is writing about regulations, and I know this is, it seems like a tangent, but it actually does apply to this, this separation between the people and the experts. 
And he says that business is getting harder in America because of the result of a never-ending accretion of ever more costly and time-consuming regulations, all of which could, in theory, be overturned at a stroke. These regulations go largely unnoticed by coastal elites because we're mostly in the business of producing and manipulating words. We're politicians, lawyers, bureaucrats, academics, consultants, pundits, and so on. But regulations and those who profit for, for them are the bane of anyone who produces or delivers things, jet engines, burgers, pool supplies, you name it. Word makers have the benefit of the First Amendment, that great guard against speech regulation, to keep the government at arm's length from their work. People who make things do not have that protection. It's one of the reasons, he says, our worlds seem politically so far apart. This is why the chattering classes, me, the politicians, the, the lawyers, don't understand why everybody's so angry because the First Amendment is protecting them from those experts who sit around going, we need a rule about this. We need a rule about that. We need a rule about where you put your window. We need a rule about how you sweep your floor. We need a rule about how many handicapped people you have to uh, hire. We need a rule about your fire this, about fire this, which all of which is just, just taking the blood out of American businesses, American manufacturing. If they did that to words, suddenly we would go nuts. No, you can't use that word. They want to do it. They're, they're dying to do it. Political correctness is their attempt to do it. It's hate speech regulations. They're attempt to do it, but the First Amendment stops them, and so we don't know what it's like. Well, I can come in here and say any damn thing I want. Facebook can cut me off YouTube, but I can keep coming back, and I will eventually get the word out because the First Amendment protects me from the nonsense regulations that they are making on everybody else. But if you make hamburgers, if you make, I mean, it's a brilliant, Brett Stevens makes a brilliant yeah. point. This is why we don't know, because the First Amendment keeps us from the slavery of regulation that is going on. And that is why when these guys sit up there and they say, well, you know, we need this many immigrants. We need them to come in. We need them to live in your neighborhood. We need them to live on your street. We need them. We don't have to ask them. We don't have to vet them. We don't have to ask them about their religion and how it applies, how it relates to the American way or the Western way. We don't have to ask them anything. And this is why they don't know. And you saw this yesterday in a beautiful, beautiful moment when the electors confirmed the uh, election of Donald Trump. You saw the separation between the chattering classes who have been hysterical. Paul Krugman is screaming, the republic is over. Everybody, the electoral college has to go. Fake news. It's all Russians. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. All this screaming. The electors just went out in every state. They did their job. Here in Texas is the vote, the final vote, as the Texas electors put Donald Trump over the, the top. Our votes for president have been tallied. We have... For President Donald Trump, 36 votes. For Ron Paul, one vote. And for John Kasich, one vote. By the way, Texas now puts President Trump over the top. So now people start to stand up if you can't see if you're just listening. People start to stand up, and the applause goes on and on and on. And if you saw the, the speaker, the lady who was speaking, the, the, the idea that she's participating in this democratic moment, this American moment, she's so proud, she's so uh, lit up, and these people are standing up, and while the people at the New York Times are dumping their heads in acid, while they're going insane, while they're exploding, here is a protester in Wisconsin who caught the bug. She caught the media bug, and she went nuts as the Wisconsin electors were voting. And here she is shouting while the electors shout back, shame, shame, shame. 
Take me out! I don't care! I just, I, I love the thing about the coat. Take me out. You know, she wants to be carried out. She's she's playing to the press. I, she wants me, take me out. And could I have my coat, please? And take me out. But I, and I want my coat. And I'm protest. But, but you know, this, this is... <laughs> This is a woman who has caught the bug of the chattering classes. And while the electors are dutifully going about their business of ratifying the will of the people, she's insane. She's gone nuts because she feels something terrible has happened. And there is so far, thank God, no evidence that that is in any way the case. You know, it's like there's just no evidence that something terrible has happened. This, you know, something different has happened. Uh, something, look, something fell apart, has, has fallen apart over the last couple of years, and the right didn't see it and the left didn't see it. The the cultural consensus fell apart, and it left a certain number of people in the dust, and those people want to be heard, and they want you to know that this is not working. The argument, you know, you can't, a guy without a job, without enough bread to eat, isn't free, and you can't tell him the theory of freedom until he has enough bread to eat, until he has a job, until he has some dignity, and nobody has been listening to this voice. It's been going back and forth in theory and principle, all of which are important, but but people's lives have to work. Whatever your political theory is, it has to work first. It has to make sure that people can eat and live and do the things that people do. So. This hysteria is coming to, is, a, is like a virus caught by the press. Now, I want you to listen. This is a, a different place, but there were also protests here. And remember, these electors have been hammered, hammered by thousands and thousands of emails and phone calls in the middle of the night telling them how awful they are and threatening them and all this stuff. Here is an elector in Kansas listening to the protests there and then going ahead and casting her vote for Donald Trump. I think that is the that's being American. So in you in the United States, because we have the freedom to be this great republic, you can speak your mind and not be reprimanded. So I, you know, I think it's everybody's right. But we're voting an elector for Kansas. Is uh, we're representing the 57 percent of the voters who came out on November 8th and they voted for Donald Trump. So. I think that we're just supporting the voters' uh, voice of Kansas. And you know, you heard the calls from the gallery, people shouting shame after the vote went down. What was your reaction to that? Well, it's okay. That's what. That's why. You, that's that's the beauty of being American. You can you can have the First Amendment right. You can say whatever you want to, so long you're not hurting anybody and physically. So were you proud to vote for uh, Mr. Trump today? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm looking forward for great many things coming forward in the next four years, for sure. <laughs> a gigantic kiss, a big sloppy wet kiss on the head to this woman who like, just deals with this with the, the tolerance, classic American tolerance and patience. You have every right to protest, but I'm here to do a job. I'm here to represent the people who sent me here and what they voted for, and I'm proud to do it. And here, with another voice, I just love this guy, too, in Pennsylvania, another elector. He reacts to the Russian hack hysteria and all the protests that he's been getting. Listen to this. You know what I ask the question? Why aren't people saying to John Podesta, why did you write stupid emails? Why aren't people asking Donna Brazil? Why did you do dumb things like giving questions to Hillary? Why aren't people saying to Debbie Wasserman Schultz, in addition to being taken out as DNC chairman, why did you favor Clinton to uh, uh, Bernie Sanders? Nobody's asking that question. Now, what, and what do you think of the protests, the pretty intense protests? The protesters, today? protesters are nice people. Mm -hmm. They have been given the wrong bill of goods that if you go and raise hell and do these things, people will change their vote. They don't understand us. 
I told people, I received over 70,000 emails. I've received over 5,000 letters. I've received over 500 phone calls at all times of day and night. I told them I'm not gonna change my mind. I received a letter from a seven-year-old child saying, I am scared of Trump. How can a seven-year-old child be scared of Trump? What does he know about Trump? I received a letter, a phone call from this lady. She says, my father was a Holocaust survivor and I'm scared and she's crying. Daddy, what do you want me to do? <laughs> Don't vote for Trump. Give me a break. <laughs> I, I love this country. I love this country so much. The common sense, the down-to-earth, the tolerance in this guy. The protesters are nice people, but what do you want me to do? This is my job. I'm doing my job. And, and here's the thing. 40 years ago, 40 years ago, 50, 40 years ago, that guy, that lady, they would have looked different. They would have been white. They would have been white. They would have had names like, I, that guy's name was something like Ashkari or something. Like, they would have had names like Flanagan and, you know, uh, you know, Italian names, Jewish names, they, you know, Swedish names, whatever. They would have looked different. But they would have said the same thing because it's about the triumph of a good idea, the good idea of freedom, the good idea of limited government, the good idea that the people have a right to throw a curveball at the, at the elites, to say to the elites, you know what? Take a hike. We're bringing in new blood. We're bringing in new people. That voice, that vo this is why I so despise the alt-right with their, their pride and their pinkness, you know? It's like there's nothing, there's nothing to be proud of in the color of your skin. I mean, you know, look, look I hope you have a nice complexion. Good for you, you know? But it's like that's not what we're doing here. That's not, you know, and it's not sentimental. There's nothing sentimental about it. Those people represent the best of America as it has been since I was a boy and that they look different from, than they would have looked when I was a boy means absolutely nothing to me. It means nothing to any of it. You want to see racism? You want to see what racism looks like today? MTV put out a, a little video of what your re New Year's resolution should be if you are a white male, okay? This is what racism looks like today. Hey, fellow white guys. It's about to be a new year. And there's a few things we think you could do a little bit better in 2017. First off, try to recognize that America was never great for anyone who wasn't a white guy. Can we all just agree that Black Lives Matter isn't the opposite of All Lives Matter? Black lives just matter. There's no need to overcomplicate it. Also, Blue Lives Matter isn't a thing. Cops weren't born with blue skin, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, they weren't born blue. Stop bragging about being woke. Stop saying woke. Learn what mansplaining is and then stop doing it. Oh, and if you're a judge, don't prioritize the well-being of an Ivy League athlete over the woman he assaulted. We all love Beyonce. And yeah, she's black, so of course she cares about black issues. <laughs> I'm talking to you, Fox News. Feel free to take Kanye West, though. You guys can have him. You know what you did, Kanye. Nobody who has black friends says that they have black friends. And just because you have black friends doesn't mean you're not racist. You could be racist with black friends. Look guys, we know nobody's perfect. But honestly, you could do a little better in 2017. Some of you guys do a great job. Some of you don't. Please, because 2016 is bad. 2017 can't be worse than this, all right? Because this is bad. Well, 
let me mansplain something to these idiots. <laughs> you know, this is, that's what racism looks like. You know, you worry about the alt-right. There's 200 alt-righters with 8 million Twitter feeds in the country. They're disgusting. I, I really do. I really do dislike them. But that's the racism that I worry about because there's so many of them and it's being sold as a good thing. That's how you sell. That's how you sell poison to people. You sell poison, mental poison to people by telling them it makes them good, by telling them it makes them virtuous. You know, they say that, that America was never great for people who weren't white white men. It was great for that lady, that elector in Kansas. She's not a white man. She was. It was great for that guy in Pennsylvania. He's not a white man. It was plenty great for the people who grasped the idea and took responsibility for themselves. It's the idea that made it great. It was never the color of the people who came up with that, that idea, though God love them. You know, I, who cares what color they were too, but God love them. It was the people, it was the ideas. The idea of rule by expert has failed. The idea by rule of the people and the freedom of the individual has never failed. It has never failed once. It is a great idea, and it's great to see it's still alive. I mean, that was that was really moving, the way they just went about their business while the people at the New York Times' heads were exploding. It was a beautiful thing. I mean, look, the heads of the New York Times exploding would be beautiful in and of itself, but it was made even more beautiful by America in action. It was great stuff. So I should do Rogue One. I said I was going to do it. I'll do it. All right. Everybody, everybody loved Rogue One but me. Okay. And so, so I'm going to say I'm going to say it like it's, it's obviously a more exciting film than I thought. I was fighting to stay awake through the entire thing. My my problem with the Star Wars franchise, you know, it, people used to play cowboys and Indians. There's there's always in every culture there is a, a golden age for when men. And it's, a, a, it's half legendary and half real. When knights are in armor, when the samurais fight, when cowboys battle Indians, uh, even, even World War II has become sort of a, a legendary age. It's that moment when men can do violence on behalf of the good. And the reason that resonates is it resonates with little boys who dream of being heroes. And they want to be heroes for the right. They want to fight. They want to get out that male energy and fight, but they want to battle for the good. And so if you're a cowboy, if you are a knight in shining armor, you're battling for the good. And the wonderful thing about those legends, even though there's a lot of untruth in them, obviously, is the wonderful thing is it connects you to your culture. When I was a kid and we played cowboys and Indians, it connected you to the settling of the West and the rise of America. That there are problems about the way that America was settled, yeah, that becomes part of the gray uh, morality of adulthood, and you find that out later. But it's still the right thing to stand for civilization over primitivism, to stand for the rise of America. All those things were the right things to stand for. Star Wars was different. It was different in kind, and it changed the, it changed the movie industry entirely, by the way. But but it changed the movie industry because it caught into a moment. It was based on a lot of it was based on the work of Joseph Campbell, wrote The Hero of a Thousand Faces, very interesting guy, wrote about mythology. It was meant to be a myth. It was meant to be a myth as, that, as Joseph Campbell explains, you know, people go through myths that sh sort of show them where they are in life. And this is the myth of choosing between one father of an and another, finding the violence within yourself represented by the Darth Vader father and finding the good creative masculine energy within yourself uh, uh, represented by Obi-Wan Kenobi and all this stuff. It was built that way. It was built specifically to be that way. Myths end. Uh, that journey ends. The journey into manhood ends, and then you are a man, and then you start to deal with other issues. That that happens in, in cowboy stories. Cowboy stories become very serious. Even superhero stories have started to deal with the world as it is. Batman has dealt with terrorism, and Superman is, and, and, and the Marvel guys are all dealing with, you know, how we live in a global world when we have so much power and all that stuff. That's what the movies have been about. This, for me, the Star Wars 
continues to be this myth that's over. Like, there's nothing more to say. And so the stories can be good or bad, but they're just not very interesting. I found this emotionally uninteresting. And they keep plugging in, oh, well, now we'll do it with a black guy. Now we'll do it with a female, as if that makes it different. To me, it's just completely empty. It has just been completely emptied out. So, listen, everybody else liked it. Go see it. It'll it'll make a million dollars. I just found it very cynical. I find the Star Wars universe very boring. I don't know who any of the aliens are, except the Ewoks. They're the only ones that I ever, that ever had a... You know, if they were telling extra stories about the Lord of the Rings people, which is also a myth, it would be a little different because that world is so thought out and creative. The world of Harry Potter, same thing, so thought out and creative. This is a very, you know, anodyne world. There's a lot of different planets where people look different and shoot at each other. And I, I just don't find it very interesting. So there I am. I know. I'm, a, I'm alone. Everybody, everybody, I just want to say I'm in a room with other guys. Every single one of them thinks I'm wrong. So, so go see the movie and I hope you enjoy it. But that was just my take on it. All right, to end on a Christmas carol, stuff I like, Lo, How a Rose Air Blooming, one of my favorites, a 17th century German hymn that is based on a, a, a prophecy in Isaiah, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Jesse was David's father, so it's saying there will come forth a branch shall grow out of his roots. There will come forth a child of the line of King David who... Christians take to be Jesus. And so this is this is a hymn about the rose growing out of the branch of Jesse. Lo, how a rose air blooming from tender stem hath sprung of Jesse's lineage coming as men of old have sung. It came a flower bright amid the cold of winter when half spent was the night. Isaiah twas foretold it, this rose that I have in mind, and with Mary we behold it, the virgin mother so sweet and so kind, to show God's love aright, she bore to men a savior when half spent was the night. Beautiful stuff. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of work. It's been sung by everybody. Sting did it. Mannheim Steamroller did it. We will be back tomorrow to uh, have the mailbag. Send in your questions, please, and we will answer them all and improve your life immensely before Christmas even comes. But for now, we have to say goodbye. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Oh.